Well, good morning, church family. My name is Nick Runlet. I'm one of the pastors here at CCF. And we're going to spend two more weeks walking through some one another passages, considering our role as the church, our responsibility as the church in the lives of one another. And we're going to continue this week with the command to encourage one another. One of the sad things about where our church is located is that we have a good amount of people that are transient. We have college students who graduate and move away, those serving in the military who come here for a couple years and then they head out. And as another incredible couple moved out of the state this past weekend, we were able to spend a little bit more time with them last week. And as they were leaving our house, he pulled out a card and handed it to me, and they left, and then later that night, I sat down to read through this card the night before I was going to begin to prepare for this sermon on encouragement. And as I sat down and read it, God used his words of encouragement in an incredible way that night for me, recalling back to different things over the years that God had done and ways God had worked to strengthen my love for the Lord, to push me on in my parenting, to give me a a renewed excitement even for what we get to do as the local church together. A simple note, an old school handwritten note given to me by a friend used by God to encourage me in the fight of faith. As we look to the command to do just that, to encourage one another, we'll look primarily at chapter 5, verse 11, But I wanted us to look at a few verses preceding that to help give us a little bit of support, a running start into verse 11. Chapter 5 as a whole moves from teaching about the return of Christ to how the Thessalonians are to be ready for Christ's coming. And that isn't by figuring out the timing of his return or reading the culture to figure out exactly when Christ is going to come back and calculating the exact day but instead that they should walk in holiness, walk in the light, being sober-minded as they wait for the coming of the Lord. As one commentator put it, he reminds us to live in holy alertness. I love that, holy alertness. As children of light, verse 5. We have a new nature, a new identity, and that changes what our time on this earth will look like as we wait for him or we wait for him to call us home. So then in verses 8 through 11, which is our text this morning, Paul exhorts them while they wait. He exhorts them as children of the light. There are four things I want to highlight as we walk through this text, really one main takeaway from each of the four verses. We'll look quickly, kind of move through those first three to spend most of our time in point four, which is the one another we're focusing on this morning. So as we look at the text... As children of the light, you'll see those four points right on the screen. We belong to the day, verse 8. We obtain salvation through Jesus Christ, verse 9. We live with him forever, verse 10. Therefore, we encourage and build one another up, verse 11. You can see those highlighted within the text itself on the screen, just where those are taken from, exactly uh, from the verses that we are going to look at. So as children of the light, verse 8, we belong to the day. Paul describes two contrasting groups within this section, the world, those in the darkness, those living in the night, 
and the people of God, those in the light. Verses 4 and 5. Those in Christ no longer belong to the night, but to the day. Those who belong to the night sleep at night, get drunk at night, it says. In other words, they're, they're not prepared, they're not alert, they're not sober-minded, they're distracted, they're not ready for his return, not living as if he is Lord. But those who belong to the day are to be sober-minded, alert, aware, ready, self-controlled as we await the day of the Lord. This is something Jesus has addressed multiple times already, even in our study of Luke together. Believers are called to remain sober and ready for the coming of the Lord. This makes its way into every area of the follower of Christ's life. Everything that we do looks different because we are children of the light. We are awaiting a Savior, awaiting our Lord. Clear thinking about the end or right thinking about the end is meant to help us live our calling out in the present. As we think clearly about what is to come and what is true, that changes how we live now. One of the ways he describes this here in verse 8 is to live in light of what has been given to us through faith, love, and the hope of our salvation. One author wrote, the way one should expectantly wait for Christ's return is not by trying to calculate the time of that return, nor by carelessly being unaware of one's relationship with God but by thinking and living like a genuine Christian, characterized by faith, love, and hope. Verse 8 there is not really about relating each concept with a certain piece of armor necessarily, but the reality of a spiritual battle going on that we must engage in until he returns, to live in light of what is true of us until he returns. In the scriptures, being sober and prepared is defined as living as children of the day. This is not merely a a head knowledge for us to understand a little bit better, but it reveals itself in, in everyday action. It's concrete. It shows itself off in the way we live together, the way we live in the world. In this letter alone, this short five chapter letter, Soberness includes the following, acts of love, patience, peace, gentleness, encouragement, hard work, living righteously with regard to alcohol and sexual behavior and treating other believers well, evangelism, thanksgiving, prayer. You can see all the ways that being sober-minded shows itself off. And all of these realities are true because of what we're reminded of in verse 9. As children of the light, we obtain salvation through Jesus Christ. Verse 9 reads, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. As children of the light, as children of God, we are no longer destined for wrath and separation from God. Instead, we obtain salvation through Jesus. He takes the wrath we deserve reserved for us, and we receive unmerited favor and grace. This does not mean that it's obtained by human effort. Paul writes that. He says it's obtained through our Lord Jesus Christ. Regardless of the activity the believer is called to, salvation is God's gift through Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.21 states, For our sake he made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 
The grace of God in Christ gives those of us that have repented and believed the gospel a new identity, a heavenly one. Our lives are now hidden with Christ, Colossians 3. We have obtained this based on nothing we have done, but by repenting of our sin and believing on the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has accomplished. And you can obtain this same salvation today. You can be among those who have obtained salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. This gospel calls you to turn your heart away from sin and toward Jesus in faith, an acknowledgement that you cannot save yourself and a trusting in him to do it for you. And for those who have believed, who have obtained this salvation, one of the realities of that salvation is that as children of light, we live with him forever. Verse 10 reads, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. He died for us so that whether we are now awake or asleep one day, we live with him. Ultimate reality, we live no matter what. We are with him forever no matter what is discouraging right now. No matter what the week looked like, no matter what this morning looked like, no matter what the diagnosis, regardless of how your life is aligning with your expectations of what life would look like, in spite of the fact that you responded in anger again today, the Lord Jesus Christ died for us believers so that we would always be with him. This is the greatest comfort to those of us in Christ who live in a broken world with broken people like us. Christ's death brings union with him in this unique way. Union with Christ means entering a new relationship so enduring that even death cannot affect it. Even death cannot change that. Whether we are awake or asleep, whether we live or die, whatever our state, when Christ comes again, we will live with him. Paul encourages them by highlighting this everlasting unity that Christ has with his people. That is true for you and I if we are in Christ. That's true of us. And these realities do not cause us to then coast in life. They don't cause us to be so heavenly minded that we are no earthly good. They're not disconnected from real life. They actually motivate us into verse 11. Verse 11 reads, right after all we have just said, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Because these things are true, now you can encourage one another and build one another up. Right thinking about the end is meant to help us live out our calling in the present. Right thinking about what is true of us and what is to come changes how we interact as the body of Christ, changes how we live together. We all know what discouragement feels like. It can sweep in without any heads up. It can completely derail our day, our emotions, our thinking, our mood, our attitude, our reasoning, and when it does sweep in, when we become weary and sad or weak, we begin to believe that there is no hope. I mean, it's amazing how quickly that can happen. In a moment, 
We can start to live as people who have no hope. Now or in the future. Yet as Paul reminds them and us, we are not a hopeless people. But when we lack the community, the encouragement of one another that we're designed by God to have, it can become very easy for us to forget our hope. To live a life of discouragement. And in those moments, we don't need rah-rah speeches. We need biblical encouragement. Biblical encouragement isn't merely focused on trying to make you feel good about yourself, even though that feels good when people do that. It's not primarily telling someone you like their outfit or you like their new haircut, which are nice things to say. We should say those things to one another. But the encouragement we need most is something more than that. It is encouragement meant to lift the heart, to remind one another of the grace of God in their life, to help them see the promises of God, to remember his goodness, to help them see ways that the Lord is at work in them and through them and the ways God is using them. It seeks to help lift their eyes to where the help actually comes from and what God is doing. As believers in Jesus Christ, we have a better, more helpful type of encouragement to give, more hopeful. And we must give it to one another. We need to encourage one another because we need to be encouraged. To encourage means to provide hope or support or confidence. The word points to being called to the side of. Sometimes it's translated as exhorting or strengthening one another. The truth that we know and cling to is a truth that has this unique ability to help us strengthen one another, to support each other. It's what we know about God and what he's accomplished and what awaits us that helps us to stand firm until he returns or calls us home. And it's as we encourage one another with these words, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, if you just look even back at verse 16 of chapter 4. It says, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Those are the types of words that encourage. Those are the truths that encourage us when things are discouraging. When everything seems to be falling apart around us and even in us at times. That is an anchor of hope. When we can so easily live in discouragement and despair. It is not hard to be negative. It's everywhere. And the Christian community is no different many times. I'll see edifying quotes or even just some of the most wholesome videos posted online and I will think there's no way there can be a negative comment about this video. And I'm quickly proven wrong, right? As someone sees a cookie jar in the back of the video and decides to go after the mom for giving cookies to their kids, right? Like they, they find anything. We can find anything to criticize or critique or be negative about, to complain about and pick at. It's easier to pick apart, to complain, and to find fault. 
And many of us can do a pretty good job of, of tearing ourselves down, forgetting grace and living in condemnation. Perfectionism and comparing ourselves to others is, is very exhausting. And we, we often put those standards on those around us. As one intern helpfully reminded me this week, it would be much easier for us if verse 11 read, therefore criticize one another and tear each other down, as you are doing. <laughs> in fact, Paul even warns where that will lead in Galatians 5, which we looked at last week, when he says, if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. There we see the term one another, but it is the opposite of encouragement. And it leads to us being consumed or destroyed by one another. We destroy one another. Everyone has a voice in 2023. Or at least the ability to comment. And everyone thinks their voice or critique should be heard. And this is especially true for those of us in any type of leadership role. Whether in a job or church or home or parenting. Gavin Ortland wrote, too often we conceive of leadership as primarily corrective with occasional encouragement. It should be the exact opposite. Encouragement should be the norm. Correction should be sparing. It is vital that you and I encourage one another often. And again, not with platitudes or feel-good statements, but with the truth, with promises of God with reminders of what is true, with what we're seeing the Lord do and, and how the Lord is using strengths and weaknesses and suffering, gifting. The context here deals with those who are dead in Christ and with the coming of the Lord. And Paul states that believers should encourage one another, build one another up in the midst of that. Uncertain times, things that are difficult, things that they don't know how this is gonna end up from an earthly perspective. So this was not to be a sporadic thing, but continuous in one another's lives, to help one another continue in the fight. And this is what God requires of us today. We must help one another avoid defeat and despair and self-pity and looking to other things to avoid their discouragement. What happens is when we're not being encouraged, in the ways that the Lord calls us to, we run to other things to try to encourage us that will never truly encourage us, but just kind of numb us to our discouragement, numb us to the realities of life. Instead of using the gift of one another and being a gift to one another in our encouragement, there's nothing quite like a word of encouragement, especially when it comes from those who you know and love you, and are walking alongside you. If you've ever run any type of race, or if you just want to imagine with me, if you don't <laughs> run a race, when you're struggling most those last couple of miles, it is never the random stranger holding a sign that is the most encouraging to you, right? With a, a, the words, you can do it. Like, that doesn't encourage you. You don't know that person. They don't know you, right? It's when you see your son or your spouse, or your parent holding a sign, or yelling out to you, encouraging you, that there is in fact an end to this race, that it's not that far away, to keep fighting, to keep pursuing, to keep running. 
The one who saw you go from the couch to the 5K? The one who saw you put in lots of work and training? That's the one that encourages you. The one who loves you. The one who knows you. Keep going. Keep fighting. Here's the truth. The end is near. Keep after it. Truth spoken by people that you love is the encouragement that you need in that moment. I mentioned earlier that the biblical word for encouragement points to this idea of coming alongside. This is the very same word that Jesus used to describe the Holy Spirit. The comforter, the the counselor, the encourager. The Spirit is ever present to encourage us that we might then encourage others that we love and care for and call brothers and sisters. What a privilege that is for us to be involved in that work. Think about times you have truly been encouraged. What was so encouraging about those words or those actions? I would just encourage you to think about these things. What what is it that's encouraged you as you've walked alongside brothers and sisters in Christ? And in what ways, even thinking about recent conversations, how did you or did you not encourage the other person with your speech? How can we be more intentional with our words as we seek to build one another up? As we, speak, as we seek to encourage the family of faith in the fight. We should be one another's biggest fans and supporters in this room. We should look around this room and see each other not as distractions or enemies or competition or people that we just sit next to on a Sunday morning but people that we want to support and encourage to the end because they need you and and you need them. We should want the same things for one another. We should have the same goal in mind for everyone, every single person in this room, every single person that calls CCF home. And let me say, this is not supposed to lead to flattery just walking around saying stuff we don't mean to one another. Matt Smethurst gave a helpful description of flattery when he said that flattery is saying to one's face what you'd never say behind their back, while gossip is saying behind their back what you'd never say to their face. But flattery, saying to one's face what you would never say behind their back. We aren't called to make stuff up to encourage one another or to say what we don't mean so that we feel better about ourselves, or they like us more. There's so many motives that can get mixed into encouraging, right? We can just become people that go around flattering one another. But instead, speaking the truth in order to build up for their good, for the glory of God and the life of the church and one another. Also, as we will find to be true with all the one another's, if you aren't around others, You aren't going to be encouraged, and you aren't going to be able to encourage others. Another significant danger of isolation is that you can't actually live this command out if you're not around the body of Christ, if you're not spending time with people, your brothers and sisters in Christ. Introverts are not excluded from encouraging one another. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 reminds us of of part of that calling. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good work, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, 
and all the more as you see the day drawing near. One of the reasons that we need to be together is so that we can actually encourage one another all the more as we see the day drawing near. We have to be together to be encouraged, and we have to be together to encourage others. One article talked about what happens when we lack oxygen, comparing it to this idea of of lacking encouragement, how we become sluggish and lethargic. said, this is what relationships feel like without encouragement. This may be why some of our relationships feel withered or tired, because encouragement is relational oxygen. One of the most powerful tools for cultivating true friendship is found in Romans 12, outdo one another in in showing honor. It's almost like it's a competition, right? Outdo one another. Do all you can to encourage and show honor to one another. Even if encouraging others doesn't come naturally for you or you don't feel like there's much to encourage in the people around you. The gospel can produce that change in us, to grow us in love for others, to give us a love for people so that we long to encourage, so that we long to build up. And the gospel can change those around you too, to produce change as you point out the the ways in which you see God at work. Imagine a parent that is concerned about ways his or her children are dishonoring the Lord or disobeying or living in rebellion. One of the ways parents can exasperate their kids is by focusing only on the negative, as if that particular failure defines their entire life and constantly harping and lecturing on the same negative thing. Choosing to look at them instead in the light of of God's wisdom and goodness and sovereignty and, and what he's doing in and through that makes it easier for us to encourage, to look for the good. We need this perspective. And we need that type of encouragement. I did this a few weeks ago, and I just want to show, again, other passages. We're not going to go to these, but if you're a note taker, or just to kind of see the the areas and the ways this comes up over and over again, just other texts to reference on this subject of encouragement. It's all over, all over the New Testament. And as we attempt... To apply these truths, I want to walk through a few ways that I think we can seek to do that intentionally. I want, hopefully, I pray this is helpful as you think about this as an individual or a couple or a family. And there are far more ways we can encourage, but here are a few. Number one, make encouragement a regular pattern of your life. Don't see it as optional. Set reminders in your calendar, on your phone, to pray for other people, to consider daily. As you spend time in the Word, let a part of that time in the Word be, who can I encourage today? Who who has God brought to mind that I can reach out to or encourage? Or who will I be with today that I can find words and ways to encourage them? Most people, most of the time, need encouragement So don't practice it sparingly. Be generous with this encouragement and make it a regular part of your life. Number two, enter into discouragement. Don't avoid it because you know they may take a lot of your time or energy. Don't avoid it because it's uncomfortable or you won't know what to say or you won't know how to encourage. 
We can't just recognize that discouragement is there. We can't just recognize that people are walking through that. We must enter into it so that we can know how to pray for them and how to encourage them, to know them well enough to know what, it, what will encourage them in this moment. What from God's word, what, what from what I am seeing of them will be helpful to them in this moment. So be present and enter into that. Sometimes that's encouragement enough, right? God can use that to then give you words to say that can be encouraging. Just enter into it. Recognize it's all around us and, and be willing to engage in discouragement. Number three, be intentional and specific in how you encourage. So talk about specific ways you see the Lord at work. Don't just be broad, but be specific. Think intentionally about the ways that you see the Lord at work in them or the things that you are seeing the Lord do and how that could encourage them. Know the situation well enough that you know how best to encourage them. Again, that takes an entering into to know that. Four, encourage with the word. I would, whether you have an app on your phone or a notebook you carry around, but just have go-to scriptures that God has used to encourage you. Go to books of the Bible with passages within that book of the Bible that you can point them to and, and send them these chapters or these verses that have been encouragement to you. Be ready with those things to encourage in those moments. Don't be surprised by this. Right? Be prepared for how you can encourage. Specific psalms or promises of the Lord. Reminders of future hope. Nothing encourages us like the very word of God. So share that with others to encourage. And, and know the moment. Know when to speak into that. Use wisdom in how you do that. But you don't want someone coming to you with their discouragement and you just throw it right back at right? Like You need to be kind and, and loving in how you do that. Uh, but God uses his word to encourage. I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but number five, look for the good in your brothers and sisters here. I'm just going to quote a helpful summary of this idea from Ed Welch. It's on the screen. It says, be eager to discover patience, self-control, humility, kindness, selfless acts, encouraging words, attentiveness, courtesy, interest in justice and the marginalized, hard work and love. These refractions of divine goodness are best identified, praised, and enjoyed. If their appearance is episodic and brief, and even if they're contaminated with selfishness or pride, don't let the unattractive features of someone's life blind you from the good. We oftentimes in those situations just kind of hone in on, well, I sense a little selfish motive here, or I sense this, or I... Look at the good. Look at what God is doing and point that out to people. Encourage them with that. I think this is a, a little bit of an aside, but I think even sometimes we can not encourage people because, well, I don't want them to get prideful. You know, I don't, we, we play the role of God in that situation. Like, I don't want them to take this too far. If I encourage them in that, you know, that may go to their head. Let's not worry about that. Let, let's worry about being generous in our encouragement as we love and care for other people. Number six, stop and pray. Just get comfortable stopping and praying with others in the moment. When people bring things to you, whether joys or sorrows or things they're struggling with or things they're grateful for, just we need to get comfortable just praying with people. It, it, it's okay to say, hey, can we just pray about this right now together? Can I pray for you? That should be normal 
ways that we interact as the body of Christ. It shouldn't be weird or look at this guy being super spiritual. No, we should be praying together. And so look for ways to do that. You know, it, it would be a kindness of the Lord if on Sundays after service, and I've seen this, people praying together. But if we just had people all over the place praying together because of what the, the Lord did through his word and through, by his spirit throughout the service, and we just, we want to pray together. There are things we need to take before the Lord. Make that normal. I would encourage you to do that and, and myself to do that. Number seven, build up, don't tear down, specifically with your words. Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. See your words as not your own. Every word that comes out of your mouth is not your word. It's not your words. It's the Lord's. How are you using that to give grace, to build up, to care for people well, to speak into the occasion in the right way. Encouragement comes through our words. Our words matter and they carry great weight and so speak them carefully. Encourage with your words. Don't tear down. Build up one another with how you speak. And lastly, be patient and gentle. We must be patient with the discouraged just as God has been patient with us. We're reminded of this later, just a few verses later in, in 1 Thessalonians 5, 14. If you want to look down there, Paul writes that we are to admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak. And specifically, he tells them to be patient with them all. Right? Encourage the faint-hearted and be patient with them all. It's easy for us to react with frustration or a lack of grace to those who are weak or discouraged, you know, to get over it, you know, how long are you going to struggle with this, that I'm going to have to encourage you, I've encouraged you 10 times already, how, how many more times am I going to have to encourage you? Well, the rest of their life, the rest of our lives, we're going to need that, right? Like, we're going to need that until we're with Jesus, we're going to need to be encouraged. Some varying degrees, others, some are going to walk through different things than we do, we're not going to understand all of what they're experiencing or how they're thinking through that, it may take them longer than you would like it to take them, but be patient with one another. Encourage the faint-hearted. Be gentle in that. That's our calling. The bottom line is we are to encourage one another and build one another up. Who can you encourage right now? Not like while I'm preaching, but as you go today. Who can you encourage? Who are the people around you in your home, family, friends, people you're going to interact with throughout the week, small group? Who are the people you can encourage and how can you do that more intentionally? How might God use you to be exactly what a brother or sister needs exactly at the right moment? Ironically enough, Paul ends verse 11 with encouragement. He writes, just as you are doing. I see this in you, he's saying, just as you are doing. Not perfectly, clearly. He needs to remind them of those things, but you are doing this. And I want to end this morning in the same way. I, I, I don't know what things would be like, honestly, in my life if I were not encouraged by the family here at CCF, if I were not encouraged by the body of Christ that God has given us here at CCF. And I know so many of you could say the same as you look around and think about 
the people that make up CCF and the ways in which they encourage you. It is such a gift of the Lord that there are so many examples within this local church of God using you in the lives of other people to encourage them and to build them up. Story after story. This isn't a, a sermon series intentionally picked out because you don't do this at all. We gotta hammer it in through the one another's. But because we believe that all of us need to be continually reminded of these callings. Because I think all of us need to be encouraged in this work to live more faithfully life together as the children of God because we, we get so distracted, we get so pulled into our schedules and our work and our sports and, and we miss out on what we get to be and do as the body of Christ. And not only what we get to do, but how much we actually need it. I think we don't realize how much we need this. All of us need this. As I reflected even over this past week, I was obviously hypersensitive to encouragement from other people in my life. But I realized how much encouragement I actually get from people that I just kind of think, yeah, this is normal. This is what Christians do. Great. But how much that's actually helping to sustain me and encourage me, people praying for me, speaking into my life. And if that disappeared, I would feel it. And I hope you would too. I hope you would feel that loss. But what are you doing to be that for someone else? To encourage someone today? So ask God to make you and to make our church family a family that loves each other in tangible ways like encouragement. That we are an encouraging church. A family of God that acts like a family Creating a church culture like this that honors God in this way takes time, takes prayer, it takes a lot of grace with one another. But as children of the light, let's encourage one another and build each other up. And as we do, let's trust the Spirit who is able to uphold and strengthen one another far better than we ever can. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Stand with me as we pray.